Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by CatholicSingles.com is ringing in the new year with savings for singles. You can save 20% by using the promo code BREADBOX when you register for a new account. Come meet other faithful Catholics and make 2020 a year to remember. Praised be Jesus Christ. Now and forever. I'm Alexandra Sullivan. And I'm Father Connolly. Welcome to Raising Saints, Helping Kids Hear God's Voice. We're a priest and a mom who are eager to do our best to answer kids' questions about God, the church, the faith, and more. Most importantly, to help them to grow in their relationship with God and ultimately hear His voice. Praised be Jesus Christ, now, now and forever. forever. Amen. Amen. Merry Christmas. Happy New Year. We are so excited. We're joined by Sister Marie Pappas. After our little uh, Advent hiatus from the, the podcast, we're back now uh, to talk about vocations. So what a great gift. We've got Sister Marie with us. She herself being uh, a radio star, uh, but I'm sure we'll talk about that in a few minutes. But why don't we pray first? In the name of the Father, and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. God, thank you for all of your gifts. Thank you for the nativity. Thank you for revealing yourself to us so that we might know you, that we might know your love for us. And thank you for vocations, for calling us, each and every one of us, to something so great. Uh, We ask you to continue to bless us, and we ask all these things through Christ our Lord. Amen. Amen. The Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Amen. Amen. Hi, Sister Marie. Hello there. Thank you for being here. So good to be here. I mean, I know you've been out there in the cyber world for a while, so it's such an honor now to be part of it. We're happy to have you. We're uh, we're excited to start this series on vocations, and so because we're we're talking to a family audience with children, I kind of just wanted to talk about what a vocation was and how each and all of us have a vocation. So um, for the listeners out there, my vocation is marriage. So I've been called to the married life. Father Connolly has been married, been, has been married. (laughs) Ooh, that's awkward. (laughs) Uh, Has been called to priesthood and you yourself have been called to religious life. Um, and there are some other different vocations, like you know, some people are called to single life or consecrated life, um, being single. So, can you tell us a little bit about what what your vocation story is like? What brought you to the decision to become a sister? Okay, so first, let me just say that a vocation is something that happens in the heart. And all of us really have one vocation, the three of us and everyone listening to us. We all have a call to love. So when we talk about a vocation, we're talking about, in my heart, how is God attracting me to love in a particular way? And we're all made for love, to receive love and to give love. And so we want to discern God made me in a particular way place me in particular circumstances. I grew up in particular circumstances. 
and it kind of shapes me for a way of loving. So with that said, let me talk about my story Mm -hmm. and my call. So I was born in Hell's Kitchen. Mm -hmm. It's a section of New York City. I would say it's like a rough section of New York City. And you might think like, how do you get a nun out of Hell's (laughs) Kitchen? (laughs) So I always say that God writes straight with crooked lines. And the reason I have such a conviction and a joy about that little theology is because um, I lived it, and I continue to live how God writes straight with crooked lines. So um, before I was a year old, my parents were divorced. So both my parents had their own stories and their own circumstances, and um, my mother was baptized Catholic, but um, she really lived in a very difficult situation and I didn't, although she was baptized Catholic, she really didn't have the benefit of living the Catholic faith. So like now we would say she was a nominal Catholic, a mm-hmm. Catholic in name. But she did have enough experience in contact. Of course, she's uh, older than I am, and I'm pretty old. I tell the students I'm 155. <laughs> <laughs> and that's so they don't guess anymore. They just accept that I'm 155. <laughs> um, so my mother lived at a time when the culture was more Christian and and Catholic. And so she learned the Catholic faith. She knew the Catholic faith. And I'm going to suspect that um, it informed her ability to cope with the hardships that were part of her life. She knew how to pray. She knew how to turn to God. But her life was not formative enough that it helped her to live the Catholic faith in a way that we do. So um, she didn't have the same supports. My dad, on the other hand, was um, formerly Greek Orthodox and therefore the name Pappas. Mm -hmm. And he, too, did not have the benefit of growing up with his uh, faith tradition. He knew it more in a cultural sense, so but not in a religious sense. And he also had this similar experience that I had, that his parents were divorced. And so he didn't grow up in an intact family. But as life unfolded and my parents divorced, my mother and father, my father had custody of me. So Mm -hmm. I think they were trying to be egalitarian and decided there were two of us, my older sister Michelle and myself. So my mother took Michelle and my father took me. Mm. which was unusual for those days that a father would have custody. But they were not contesting their agreement to separate and to each take a child from the marriage. So I am now in the care of the parent who is not Catholic, nor does he know his Greek Orthodox tradition. So what is God going to do with this? So we know from Scripture that nothing is impossible for God. So God just rubs his hands together and say, I'm going to have fun mm-hmm. because I created everyone for happiness. And so I can take this mess and make something loving and beautiful and creative out of it. Mm-hmm. And sure enough, he did. So this is the olden days before we knew um, that, Alexandra, I'm sure your husband helps out with the kids. <laughs> right. But modern husbands know how to diaper and give bottles yeah. and do all kinds of childcare. But in the olden days, it was not manly to even think about doing such things. Right. So my father was from the old days, and um, he couldn't even imagine that now he has an infant who's not quite one yet. 
So he um, knows that he has to place me in the care of someone who takes care of children in these situations. So I was placed in the care of a woman who was trying to support herself and her two children because her husband had abandoned them. Oh my goodness. So she needs to provide for them and she needs to be at home to care for them. So she decides to take in children. And I am one of those that she takes in. But she had lots of kids that she took care of and it really helped her to uh, support herself. Mm-hmm. And I think it was probably also in the days when the government wasn't really so diligent about insisting that a father would need to support his children. Right. So I grew up in a community. Yeah. And there were, we were never lonely. There were lots of us, and um, about five of us were like a year apart from each other, so we were all generally the same age. So I never wanted for company. And this woman was raised in the Dutch Reformed tradition. Mm-hmm. Let me remind you, God writes straight with crooked lines. Okay. And um, we went to Sunday school every Sunday. And I love Sunday school because I remember one lesson that stands out in my mind in the Dutch Reformed Church. We learned about Moses when he was a baby and how he was put in the basket and floated down the Nile River. So my teacher, I don't remember her, but I remember the story. She gave all of us half of walnut shells and little pipe cleaner Moses babies to put in the walnut shell. And we had tissue that we lined the walnut Mm -hmm. shell with, and we put the pipe cleaner Moses there. Mm -hmm. Then we put another piece of tissue over him as Mm -hmm. a blanket, and we floated him in a bowl of water. (laughs) And it made such an impression on me that I knew this story. The other thing I remember from these early years is that um, this woman who was Dutch reform had a record that we're talking about the olden days when we had records and not the great electronic stuff we have now. So she used to play this um, song on a record. I guess she liked it. And it was about the deck of cards and how the deck of cards was the whole Bible story. And the queen was Mary and the king was uh, Jesus and he was Lord. And it would play so often in the house that I used to think of a deck of cards as something religious. Every number represented something (laughs) religious. So much so did that make an impression on me. This is before I started school that my dad loved to play cards with his friends. Mm-hmm. And this he did a lot of this before he died. And I put that the words to that song on the back of the memorial card after his funeral from mm-hmm. a Catholic church. Um, yes, a God right straight yeah. with crook- crooked lines. It's like the unthinkable happens. Mm-hmm. So um, it turned out it was a memorial mass in case your sensibilities <laughs> Father, are, are like, what? You're not Catholic? And <laughs> I, I trust you enough. I figured that was the key. <laughs> yeah, it was a memorial mass. But for me, it was such a comfort because as I got older, I always feared if my father didn't become Catholic, then no one would be at his funeral. And how would I bury him if not through a Catholic church? Because that was my heart had gone there already. So how in heaven's name did I was baptized Catholic because my mother was formerly Catholic. And you had to promise if you married a non-Catholic that you would raise the children Catholic. And that was a great grace. That that rule of the church really served my destiny because I was, in fact, baptized Catholic. So now I'm living in a a Dutch Reformed church. But this man, uh, he was Polish and therefore Catholic, 
brought his two children to this woman to care for his children. And his wife had abandoned him and her two children. So you see this whole pattern of what statistically now is at least a 50% divorce yeah. rate. So I was living that, that statistic. <clears throat> and we were living that statistic, those children who were in the care of this woman. So uh, now you should hear a little background music. If, if we mm -hmm. were at Sirius XM, they could actually play the background <laughs> music. Or you could have you brought could. your guitar. We could have <laughs> had some background music. But um, over time, not immediately, this Polish man and this woman fell in love with each other. They certainly had constant contact because she was caring for his daughter and son. His daughter, Terry, was a year younger than I was, and his son was my age. So we, there was a nice group of us who were all around the same age, just by happenstance. She wasn't, like, doing anything scientific when she took kids in. So um, he was Catholic. So she began to take, this is before Vatican II, she began to take instruction to become mm -hmm. Catholic. And when she did, our whole world changed. Huh. So um, I have to say we were already, I, I often say I was evangelized by the Protestant church, the Dutch Reformed Church, but also evangelized by this woman. So it was unthinkable that we would go to bed without kneeling at her bed to pray our prayers. So I grew up having a relationship with Jesus because I lived in these circumstances, and I lived with people who, who knew Jesus and who prayed. And I, I also have a very vivid memory. In the girls' room, we had a shared bedroom. There was this beautiful, it looked like lace, it may have been crocheted, and it was the Our Father. And we would kneel before that to probably pray the Our Father. I don't remember the content of our prayers, but we did pray every night. And just looking, you know how it is, we girls, you know, lace is something mm -hmm. beautiful. Yeah. I didn't know much. I wasn't educated much. That goes for priests, too. <laughs> yes, that's right. You've got quite a bit of lace, too. Um, I wasn't educated much about the Our Father, certainly not what I have come to learn now. But my heart knew that this was a beautiful prayer because I saw it in lace, and so it was something beautiful. And this um, Terry's father, um, over time, when he would work someplace else, I don't have the details, but he would come every weekend, and he would bring little gifts, not just for his two children, but for all of us. And one time he brought this enameled cross, and it had this little window in the center. When you ha And this was the great joy that it was something special. When you looked up at the light inside, you saw... The Our, Our Father. Father. And so I knew that Our Father was a special prayer. I knew it was something beautiful because every presentation of the prayer was always beautiful. Mm -hmm. And so I loved to pray the Our Father, mm -hmm. not because I understood the words, but my heart knew that there was some connection and something very special about this prayer. What a great preparation then for when in third grade, so by third grade, we all transferred to the Catholic mm -hmm. school. Wow. In the days when you only spent $10 a month yeah. for Catholic you education. Know, it's, it's funny, we had this conversation with my mother-in-law just the other day, and she said, I think it was $25 for the, for, for the year or something well, like Alexandra, that. Well, Alexandra, you're yeah. that much younger than I am, so of course. But in my day, when I was a child, it was $10 a month. Mm -hmm. And because there were so many of us who were living with this woman they even gave us a discount. You know, pretty much what we do now, yeah. you know, 
if you have two children, you know, you discount it for three. And after three, you just pay the standard three-child discount. So um, it was a new world. I entered uh, Catholic school in third grade myself, and I had a lay teacher in third grade. I had never heard the good news from a Catholic heart until I started going to um, the Catholic school. And it was like, I, we had no television. We really didn't have a lot of money, and television was not something that we longed for because it wasn't really wide known. But I knew enough to, uh, so the way we entertained ourselves, we played games together. We were outside for all the time, the kids. And also we read. We had lots and lots of books. And what I loved most were the fairy tales. And it just, to me, spoke of something and someone who made good happen. You know, Cinderella, and she was so poor, and then the fairy comes to her, and her whole life changes. So in my imagination, which I was born with, I have such an immediate and vast imagination that it didn't take much to get invested in these books. And I was like, oh my gosh, this is beautiful. I hope someday a fairy appears to me. And But then I started going to Catholic school, and my teacher, a lay teacher, is teaching us about God, but he's real. It's not a fairy tale. There really is a God. And when we pray to him, that he hears the longings of our hearts and he responds to them. And to me, it was just like, I didn't think it out like I am now as an adult, but I jumped into the connection like, oh my gosh, there really is someone like fairies. There is someone who listens to us and sees our needs and responds to our needs. So in third grade, I learned to pray. And it totally changed my life, my heart, and everything. I think every religious vocation begins with that. The best thing we can do is to teach our children how to pray. So last night I was talking to first graders, and I was telling them. One little girl asked me, you know, I don't know how to talk to God. How do I talk to him? Mm -hmm. So we had that conversation, and the students were astounded that wherever they are, they don't need to use um, the computer to send them an email. They don't need to use their phones. That just their heart is all they need, and they can talk whatever is on their mind, whatever's in their heart. And because God loves them, he stops everything to listen to them, and he cares about the things they care about. And I could see the joy in them, and I know that joy because it was my joy that I was never without someone who was right inside me, who listened, who loved. That's why kids love their grandparents, because grandparents, unlike parents, have so much more um, discretionary time, and parents are running around trying to make everything happen so the food's on the table. and So grandparents sit and listen. So when I taught high school, girls would always say to me, their fondest memories were of their grandparents. They watched their grandmother pray the rosary in her rocker whenever they were upset about a boyfriend who dumped them. This was an all-girls school. (laughs) Um, They could go to their grandmother and she would listen, you know. So they want someone who listens to them. And we know that when someone really listens, like you're listening to Mm -hmm. me right now, It's like a way of really giving us our dignity that Mm -hmm. someone cares enough to listen to us. So that was one of my early life lessons. But then 
I went to fourth grade. So third grade, I received my first penance and first Holy Communion. But everyone else in the school received theirs in first grade. So I received, and then in fourth grade, I received my confirmation. In those days, you received your first penance and first communion in first, your confirmation in second. Mm -hmm. So I was like behind everybody else. But fortunately, look at you now. Yeah, look (laughs) at me now, right? (laughs) I just moved up the line. But fortunately for me, although I groaned about it for most of my life, well into my teenage years, I was short, so I didn't look as old as I was. And I also had the great honor when I was confirmed in fourth grade to be told, you know, in those days we put a card between our fingers and it had our confirmation name on it. And when I went up the acolyte, the bishop said to the acolyte, what is the family name of this one? And the acolyte said, Pappas. He said, tell your parents you have a good Greek mind. (laughs) (laughs) Wasn't quite sure what it meant. I knew it was a compliment. But, um, of course, my hand was up. I was answering all the questions, but I was older. I had learned more because now I was in fourth grade. Mm. And um, it was the good old days when the bishops really did quiz you and question you to make sure that you, you knew your faith. So I had been in Catholic school for two years, and it worked. I had Dominican sisters, and they were fantastic. I mean, that's part of their charism and history, um, teaching the faith. And there was in me a great, great joy. I think I was always very attentive to my heart, so I kind of felt all those movements. I think most kids are attentive to their hearts. And um, I just felt like when religion class came, joy came to the classroom and I felt so much more alive. And I do believe that God was calling me from the womb to my vocation as a sister of the resurrection, although I didn't know it then, because every movement in my heart kept drawing me and attracting me to the faith and to God and to his love. And of course, when I was a bit older, I wanted to be able to be a dispenser of that joy to others. So I say, if I were to live my whole life all over again, I would do exactly what I did. But God's grace really led me down this path because I hadn't a clue what I was doing. And life was happening to me, and I was just kind of going with it. And I didn't realize that I was not going through life alone, that God was right there shaping my heart for this way of life, this way of loving, and the ministry that I do, which continues to give me all this joy. So the joy I had as a, a child is just multiplied now in the giving back of the very things that gave me so much life. So when I was in seventh grade, to skip ahead, um, we're not going to go all the way up to age 155. We're just going to <laughs> get to the general story. Um, when I was in seventh grade, um, and my dad would always come to visit on holidays and stay for the long weekends or whatever. So when I was in seventh grade, my dad did not come for Thanksgiving, which was absolutely unusual. It never happened before. But the Sunday of Thanksgiving weekend of my seventh grade year, he came. And the woman who was caring for me said, I packed all your things because your dad is taking you home to live with him. And for some reason, I just cried. Mm. And... Well, I was already upset that he hadn't come, 
And this is all I had known living with this woman and all the kids. And I didn't know what it meant to live, to go to New York City and live with my dad, back to Hell's Kitchen. And um, I loved my dad, but it was scary because I, now I was walking into the unknown. So I, I said to my dad when we were driving back to New York City that night, I said, Dad, I have to go to a Catholic school. So I was already so in love with the Catholic school. I had to go to the Catholic school. My father hadn't a clue what I was asking him. Or he was a New York City taxi driver, so he had no clue what it was going to cost him. <laughs> but my dad loved me, and so um, he goes, okay, we'll, we'll figure it out. We'll figure it out. So he brought me to St. Clement's Mary on uh, 40th Street. And it was, uh, the sisters there were the sisters of the resurrection. Now, I have to confess to you that um, I thought they looked pretty ugly <laughs> in comparison to the Dominican sisters, because the Dominican sisters had this creamy white habit, and their veil had, like, I don't know, something that made it high, and they just looked elegant, and they were the first ones I knew, so I fell in love with the creamy high look. <laughs> And then I got to the Sisters of the Resurrection to start with. They wore black. Yeah. And I'm like, that didn't Nothing look pretty. wrong with that, by the way. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, you would say that. <laughs> well, actually, now I would say that. Uh, and most women of fashion would say, you know, black, black is what you wear. But at the time, and also their veils were, were flatter on their heads, and it just didn't look queenly like the Dominicans did. So the only thing I can say for the Resurrection Sisters which I could not possibly know at first glance, is, oh my gosh, they were so human, very relational, and it just took no time for me to fall in love with them. And they had this great thing, because this was New York City, where you have all kinds of situations, and I discovered that most of my class spoke English and some other language, so there were all different foreign languages going on in the classroom. And um, in no time... I fell in love with the Sisters of the Resurrection. They would let us stay after school and help watch the kids whose parents were working because they were single parents or because both parents had to work. So I was an older student, seventh grade, and I got to help take care of the children after school. Of course, if I didn't, I would have gone home to an empty apartment because my dad was working at that time. So through the rest of seventh grade and eighth grade, um, I spent lots of time with the sisters. They'd invite us over to the convent. We would help them clean on Saturdays. We would do their blinds and their windows. We'd take care of the kids. One Saturday, they invited us to have lunch with them, which I thought was going to be glorious, until they served toast with creamed mushrooms on it. Oh, oh I know, exactly. Oh. But I so love these nuns, and I so loved being with them, that I ate all of my toast with creamed mushrooms on it. It's amazing oh, what kids can overcome when they're in love. <laughs> wow. And then the rest is history. I joined the Sisters of the Resurrection after eighth grade. When I graduated from eighth grade, actually there were three of us from that school who joined the Sisters. They had an aspirancy, a high school program for girls who were interested. And um, my dad gave me permission because he saw I was happy. I loved the way my dad treated me with respect. He really listened to me. And I found out that he cried to his friend that I was leaving him. But he never let me see those tears. And so I entered happily. And my second year in the convent, he said, you know, I can see how happy you are. Maybe um, 
If I had known what you know, I would, I could have become a priest. I said, dad, that wouldn't have worked out because then I wouldn't exist. (laughs) (laughs) So again, God writes straight with crooked lines. And if I could do it again, I do exactly what I've done all over again. That's a great story. Thank you for sharing from your childhood since we have all these children listening. It's great for them to start thinking about those things now. How is God talking to them to their every hearts. day yeah. right now? Um, we're going to take a quick break, uh, and then we're going to come back with some more questions. Okay. Hey, everybody. Our interview with Sister Marie went over well over an hour. We were having such a good time, the three of us talking, so many topics to cover, and we just couldn't squeeze it into one episode. So we're going to take a break here, and the rest of our questions with Sister Marie will be aired in a couple of weeks in episode eight. So please stay tuned, and we'll talk to you then. Bye-bye. Breadbox Media Programming is brought to you by... Looking for exceptional coffee delivered fresh to your door? We have the answer. Our friends at Grim Bean Coffee produce small-batch artisan coffee using top-tier coffee beans. The coffee is roasted when you order, guaranteeing the freshest coffee possible. Check out Breadbox Roasts, a new line of Catholic-themed coffees, available at www.grimbeancoffee.com forward slash Redbox Media. Experience coffee like never before.